Welcome to Season 2, Episode 43 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Sadie Jones. Sadie is the author of six novels, and her new novel, Amy and Lan, is out now through Penguin. She joins me from her home in London. Hi. Thanks for having me. How's life in London? It is so hot. We're having this crazy, unprecedented, uh, we've got 40 degrees in London at the moment, which is the first. And uh, meanwhile, the Tory party are just squabbling over who's going to lead it. And they've decided voters don't care about climate change and we're all going insane in the heat. (laughs) Apart from that, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got Boris Johnson, who's still in there. And um, you've got a massive heat wave that's covering the whole of Europe. But I guess, how does that affect your day-to-day life? Well, very little affects my day-to-day life, really, because I'm always, I mean, the fact we've got a new puppy is probably the thing that's (laughs) affecting me more than anything outside, because I'm always just at my desk. You know, I work on my own. I don't talk to anyone much. And then, you know, the evenings. So, yeah, not not that much. I just got the windows (laughs) open. (laughs) <laughs> Blinds down. <laughs> You've written six previous books to Amy and Lan. Do you want to tell us a bit about your background and what drew you into the world of writing? Yeah, um, I my my I come from a family. My father's a writer, and my mother's an actor. Was an actor. Um, so even though I didn't it seemed impossible for me to make a living at writing. It was really always the only thing that I could do. So I was working in restaurants or as a very bad secretary or selling balloons at one point while writing. Um, But I was writing screenplays. I didn't really have the nerve or the capacity to write a novel. I didn't think that that was me. I considered myself a dramatist. So I was, I was uh, working professionally as a writer from when I was about 22. I wrote a screenplay and got an agent. And then there was this long, long gap where nothing was produced. And then I uh, wrote my first book when I was, I guess, 39 and it was published when I was 40 and then it had a lot of luck. So it was a sort of really, really, really slow, (laughs) a slow first act to my writing career in a way. And it is a writing career that's had quite a bit of success and it's even been adapted for the screen, which you did yourself. You wrote the screenplay. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that process? Uh, yeah, it was it was my first book, which was called The Outcast, and it had started um, life as a, as a film script. I envisaged it as this sort of um, 50s, uh, you know, neurotic boy outsider story. And then it just had this extraordinary life that it took on. So while the script was in development and trying to get made, I found myself kind of writing it or the backstory to it. And, and then it, uh, the, the, what I considered the main story about this boy coming out of prison. Um, I wrote it as a book sort of just to keep myself sane, 
not really, the, I thought, well, you know, <laughs> basically I thought here's a new thing to fail at. Uh, and I did, was very frightened of it and of writing a book. But then there was an extraordinary moment where the producer who was trying to get it made, who was an independent producer, um, just ran out of patience with trying to get independent films made and rang me up and said, well, I'm going to go become a literary agent. Have you thought of writing The Outcast as a novel? And I had finished it like the week before. So it was a very, very odd uh, kind of, it was just extraordinary. Anyway, that book sold and it did really well. It had uh, a lot of luck, a lot of success, and then was optioned. And then it was a case of turning it back into a film, which then the film then turned into a television. And in the end, through a couple of directors, we ended up with Ian Softley, who's a wonderful director. And it was made for the BBC in 2015 as a two-parter, which I adapted myself. So the book came out in 2008, and then it was quite a long journey to get there. And what an unbelievable journey that is. But I, you were telling me just before about your role in that journey and the fact that I guess once these things are optioned and they're out in the world that you lose, I guess, a degree of control over them. But it sounds like you had a really good experience doing this one. I, I really loved doing it. And Ian was very um, open and inclusive and allowed me to help, basically. And it does strike me as odd that, you know, the last person anyone wants on a set is the writer. Everyone always says, oh, my God, you know. But actually... Given that it was an exercise in me and discipline every single day to keep my mouth shut or choose my moments to give notes, basically, or to help or to make suggestions. So it was, it was a question of kind of choosing my battles. But in terms of letting the work go and allowing someone else to realize it and other people to interpret it, that was just nothing but positive. Because when you're a novelist you're just alone in the room as I've mentioned and you're responsible for all of it and I really loved the giving it over not having control and not being the ultimate boss and you know seeing a team of people who are dedicated to what they do creating a thing that I thought of was just tremendously gratifying it was amazing. Would you like to tell us about the current work that is being adapted as well? I'm adapting my last book, Snakes, um, which is sort of early stages development. They're looking around for money and I've written the pilot script of what would be one of five probably. So it may never happen, but if it happens, it would be great. Um, and I love, I love the process of it. I love um, <laughs> deconstructing and breaking up and having another go at my own work um, and looking at it through different eyes. I find it really, um, fascinating thing it's uh, it's sort of another shot at it and it's sort of a chance to take out things that you feel didn't work and I enjoy the brutality of it. I guess in terms of your writing process I'm interested to ask because you've come from kind of a screenwriting film background as well is that something you, that you start with like do you start with a visual aspect do you start with you know, a scene? Like, how do you start that writing process for you? When I write a novel? Yeah. I, I guess that's why I assumed I was a screenwriter, because I, I always thought that everybody had a, it's a bit of a tangent, um, 
you know, very uh, visual imagination. And it turns out that whole swathes of the population don't picture things at all and can't picture things. I find that quite fascinating because I see things very clearly and probably um, more so from working on that muscle all my life. So when I'm writing a book, until I can, um, until it's a world that is so real in my own head that it feels that I'm reporting it, I, I don't really begin to write. So I'll, I do, I do work from a kind of learned dramatist's um, paradigm or structure, which I will then change as the writing surprises me. But I, I also, um, I come at it from a, a point of view of what, you know, what do I see or what does the character see? Um, yeah, which I guess is a, a filmic or cinematic kind of approach. Well, with that, let's move on to Amy and Lan. Your two eponymous protagonists are best friends. Their families have decided to live together on a communal farm in the West Country. The novel is told through the eyes and voices of the two children as they grow on the farm over the course of about five years. And the farm is kind of utopia, especially for Amy and Lan. Do you want to tell us a bit more about Amy and Lan and the setup of your novel? Yes, they are. Um, the, when the book starts, they're seven years old. And when it ends, they're 12. And I'd never, I didn't come at it thinking I want to write a book from children's point of view. I always, in the past, it's my sixth book, and always in the past, I've done a sort of third person, past tense thing. And I, in fact, wrote this, it really came from this idea, this imagining and sort of fantasy that I had when my children were younger of moving to the country and having this kind of pure and perfect life that was away from the big city that I didn't do. And I've always wondered what that would have been like. And I have friends who live a sort of similar life to the people in the book, uh, who are in the book, they are these three families who bought a farm together when the mothers were pregnant. And Amy and Lana, the child of one of the mothers and the child of another of the mothers. And they're always saying they're not a commune. They're just, you know, unless you're a rich person, how do you buy land? And the idea was that they would have a natural, healthy life for their kids and they were best friends and then other people join. And it's a, a utopian thing that they're trying to create. But in the writing of it, I didn't want to be knowing and adult and in the adults' heads about their marriages, which are precarious. I wanted, even though there are problems with it and it, it goes wrong as an adult might see it as we do see it it goes wrong but the children don't see it that way the children are having the best childhood ever so it had this um a sort of necessity to tell what they saw and where they were and childhood is in the present tense and childhood is what's in front of you what you can see so it, i ended up having these two first-person protagonists where they're both telling their experience and it was terrifying to do but it was also the only way that these children were could tell themselves it, it, I can't really explain it's funny because reading this book like the kids have such an idyllic childhood but when I was reading it I just felt this sense of dread about yeah. things that were going to happen because the kids are, are always doing something dangerous, always playing with fire or 
climbing on roofs or doing something that you think is going to end in tragedy, but they have this beautiful childhood and they're unaffected by all the stuff that's going on around them. But we find out, I guess, soon enough that the paradise for the kids is not the same paradise that the adults are experiencing. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the adults in the book? Yes, the um, Amy, the two mothers who are best friends, one is um, sort of, uh, she's into her homeopathy and she talks about herself as a white witch and she's, she's kind of uh, that woman. And then the other mother is very practical, very hardworking, ends up doing most of the work on the farm, but she's married to quite a vain man. And Gail, the first mother, the homeopathy mother, is married to a very solid, very kind. Um, there's a touch of the Atticus Finches about him, I guess. He's a carpenter and he's just a, he's a fantastic um, father and stepfather to Lan. And then there's, uh, they, they have an Irish young man who's um, come from being homeless and he has his mental health issues, he's mentally ill. And he lives in a cottage and does a lot of the vegetables and is their friend. And he's also an artist. And, and then they have a friend who's sort of is staying with them, who broke up with her husband. And she is always meaning to leave, but doesn't. And, it's, and then there's the third family who are the solid ones. One of them's an accountant and the other one is a lawyer. And they have kids who are completely outrageously naughty and undisciplined all the time. I'm all the kids are naughty and undisciplined all the time. And the families and lodgers and various people all kind of, kind of scratch along, but the tension between the couples comes because it's, it's ideological and also romantic, because one of, one of the dreams is to have a self-sufficient farm, and then that's in opposition to the fact they have no money. So they turn it into a B&B &B against the wishes of Harriet, the, the hardworking mother, and then the husband of one and the wife of another like each other too much, as Amy and Lan might put it. Um, but I really wanted that, all of those things to be, this isn't a book that is adults' lives told by children. I wanted it to be a, a book that was children's lives told by children. And that was a very difficult balance to strike because it wasn't how do children see, you know, marital problems? How do children, it was like, how do children knowingly and deliberately block out reality was really what I wanted to write about. So the dramatic irony that we have the knowledge that, you know, they can set fire to themselves or that the parents are, you know, behaving badly and we know what repercussions that might have and they don't know. But them not knowing was really the heart of the book more than what were the adults up to. So the bliss ends. Uh, as childhood ends, as all dreams end, but I didn't feel that it was a dark book in that it's not wrecked or ruined. It's just the necessary endings and sorrows of existence, if a little more abrupt than they sometimes are. Yes, absolutely. Over the pandemic, I think a lot of us dreamt about a tree change. Was that something that you thought about while you're writing this book or did you have some other specific influences like you're talking about uh, moving away with your kids earlier in life? Yeah, um, it was a combination of things really. Uh, every book is a reaction against the book before. And the, the last book, The Snakes, had been very, very dark um, sort of tragedy 
uh, dressed up as a thriller. So it was a sort of existentially frightening book um, about capitalism and moral decay. And it, was, it had a subtitle, The Impossibility of Good in my head. It came out of the Trump election, really. Um, so after that, I just wanted to <laughs> uh, have some sunshine and clean my soul. So I was really, I've always fantasized about living in the country. And when you're a parent of young children, other, your friends and contemporaries are also fantasizing about that. And some people go and some people don't, and we didn't. So I've had a sort of life unlived, path untaken thing about the countryside. And I guess with the pandemic as well, we were all um, picturing freedom. So there was an element of wish fulfillment about this book. I set it in the past with Amy and Lan, the same age my children were, in the same year that my children were young children. And so for me, it was a very nostalgic book, but it was a nostalgia for a thing I'd never done. Um, so it was, a, it, it was a reaction to a lot of actual darkness in the world and also darkness in my own work. And it was a fantasy, but like any fantasy, you know, that. That's going to, it doesn't, it's not good drama. It's not good story. It has to, you know, so I had to ask myself, well, who, who are these people who are trying to create this utopia and save the planet? And what would go wrong if you did try and do that? And how might that not work? And what would be wonderful for the children in that situation? And what might not work for the children? So, um, and I also was inspired by some very good friends of ours who live in, Wales now used to be in Somerset who have a small holding and brought up their kids very similarly to Amy and Lan, except it's just them as a single family. And I decided to have three families by a farm. And the two characters in the book, they're so beautifully drawn. I just love Amy and Lan. Uh, I want to ask you how you developed those characters and would you like to revisit them in the future? I am revisiting them. Um, because uh, the, I'm writing for the first, I haven't done this before, I'm writing a sequel to, the, to, to Amy and Lan um, when we return to them later on. Um, and I they just, um, I didn't mean to write from the point of view of children at all. It was a, um, it just happened. I wanted to write from some distance, but Amy and Lan had just these, they were just so chatty. And their voices were so particularly Amy's very chatty. And I, I found having tried a lot of ways of approaching the book, the only way I could do it was from their point of view. So their characters just, um, there's a lot of my kids in them, I guess, but, but they aren't portraits at all of my children. Um, I just, maybe, maybe my brain just falls into what it's like to be a child very easily, but I, Amy and Lam were very strong people, strong characters that is. So how far are you along in this sequel? <laughs> 600 words <laughs> so far. Um, yeah, I, I sort of know where I'm going. I'm, okay. I, I do know where I'm going, but I, I can't really say where I am. <laughs> I won't ask you too many further questions then. Okay. <laughs> um, as somebody new to your work, what kind of books would you recommend starting with? So obviously Amy and Lan is a starting place for me, but what other works should I go and seek out next? It's really, it's an impossible 
but they're all very different. So when people ask that, I tend to ask them what they like because um, there's the, it's not a thriller. I was kind of refusing to write a thriller kind of thing. It was just that it was a very dark book, The Snakes. Um, I just decided if you had to write something so difficult, it had to be a page turner, <laughs> was, was that how that came about. Uh, there's a, um, what's essentially an Edwardian zombie rom-com, uh, The Uninvited <laughs> Guests, <laughs> which I just had a lovely time, kind of J.B. Priestley, mad Edwardian world, and set over one night. It's quite a theatrical book, that, but if you like that kind of thing. Um, the Outcast was my first one. That's the story of a boy growing up in the 1950s. It's a coming of age story about um, damage and grief and society being vile to unhappy people. And there's a, a Small Wars I think I'm most proud of, my second book, uh, which was about, again in the 50s, but it was a very different story about an army major in Cyprus in the Cyprus emergency. And it's a book about warfare that kind of was a reaction to Iraq and Afghanistan that was happening in the, our world at that time. Um, have I left one out? Not sure. Yes, Fallout. Four, yeah. The, um, about a playwright in the 1970s, the 1970s theatre, um, and kind of socialist dreams. It's a love story, essentially. Again, about damage, um, but it's set in the 1970s era of, of divorce and drink and personal suffering in, in the world of theatre. So yeah, those are my books. And uh, I guess people have to decide which of those appeal. Sounds good. Okay, I'll have to read some more. <laughs> I'm so bad at describing my own work. I know I am. <laughs> um, what do you advice do you have for up-and-coming writers? Um, I think the main thing is routine and discipline, even if especially if, and I think it's easier in a way to write if you have other things in your life and you don't have much time for it. Just put aside that exact time that you need to work and don't allow yourself to work outside of that um, and work at least five days a week. Excellent. Okay, good advice. All right, let's move on to your gateway books. What were some of the books that opened the doors of literature for you? Um. Lord of the Flies. Um, I don't think I'll ever get over the ending of that book. And it's been one of those books I haven't been able to look at the film adaptation or really even talk to anyone about it. Um, and uh, Jane Eyre kind of opened the door to 19th century literature. It's such a, um, that's definitely a gateway book to the Victorians. Uh, the Catcher in the Rye. Is, is um, we read that at school, bizarrely, and I think it was prep school, I was really young. Um, I was young enough to think that Holden Caulfield was sexy and be in love with him. And then reread it about five years later and go, what? <laughs> Completely misinterpreted this. Oh, that's, but it's an agonizing book. I, that, that's um, enough to make anyone want to pick up another book. And um, The Color Purple, which was a huge, eye-opener for me when I was I guess 19 and I think that it should be on everyone's list. Excellent okay what books are you reading at the moment and what are you looking forward to? I am reading um, A Town Called Solace by Mary Lawson who's a 
extraordinary writer and uh, just very subtle, complicated, brilliantly drawn, real sorrows and pains. And there's no tricks about her. She's just um, admirable, amazing, amazing writer. And she writes poetically without you noticing that she's doing it, which I always think is, is yeah, I never want to, I never want to be going, oh, look at this prose. But then when you go, wow, look at this prose, you know, <laughs> she, she does that. Um, and I'm looking forward to Tim Finch's book, House of Journalists. I really loved his book, Peace Talks, um, that was shortlisted for the Costa a um, couple of years ago. And uh, I'm, I, I hadn't read him before. And I'm looking forward to reading that. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Sadie Jones. Do you love the look of wild windswept hair? Well now you can have it too. Try Boris Johnson's new range of hair products. Use promo code WANKER for 10% off your first order. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time for Sadie's Desert Island Books. Yes, Desert Island books, I'll try not to ramble. Okay, I've got 10 books, two of them are gonna be Hemingway, because Hemingway. Movable Feast, uh, because it um, describes both Paris and writing as exquisitely as it's possible to do. For Whom the Bell Tolls, James Baldwin, If Beale Street Could Talk, which is a just, um, I came really late in life, I'd read his essays, but I'd never read his fiction, and, and I love that book. I'm taking all of Shakespeare and all of Eliot, <laughs> so I'm not choosing, I'm not choosing out of those. Um, Franny and Zoe Salinger, um, just because if I'm imagining a real desert island, then um, being in the Glass family's smoke-filled bathroom while Franny and Zoe chat about their existential crises is just a really good escape in the heart of New York. That would just be great. Um, the Brothers Karamazov, because it's probably the best book ever written. Um, Never Let Me Go, Ishiguro, because it's probably the best book of that decade ever written. Um, All of Narnia, C.S. Lewis books. And Americana by Chimamanda Ngochi Adichie, because she's a genius and her writing is breathtaking. And I wasn't sure which of her books to take, but I've gone for that one because of its scope. That is such an amazing list. Thank you so much for that. Well, thank those, thank those writers for that. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing when you look at it, you just go, wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lucky, lucky me, I've read those. <laughs> well, we should probably wrap it up. But before we do, do you want to tell us where we can find you online and where we can go and buy the amazing Amy and Lan? Uh, Amy and Lan in all good bookshops. Uh, the Indies have been very supportive this time. Um, obviously, it's available online too. I'm not very good at social media, but I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram, not very entertainingly mainly just looking at other that's the main reason to be on twitter and instagram is to just watch other people but i do chip in 
Excellent. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and I highly recommend Amy Land because it's just such a great, fun read. And thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks once again to Sadie Jones. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BeyondZeroPod and you can email us at BeyondTheZeroPod at gmail.com. We'll be back with your next episode very soon.